Welcome to the Unhurried Living Podcast. My name is Alan Fadling, and I invite you to listen to leadership conversations that will help you to develop healthy rhythms of rest and work and to live fuller in friendship with God. I hope this podcast will help you to overcome hurry and make time for what matters most. And now, enjoy today's episode. Hey, friends, welcome to episode 217 of the podcast. My name's Alan, and I'm so glad you've joined me here. I'm hopeful that our time together will help you rediscover an unhurried way of life and leadership. Each week on the podcast, we have leadership conversations to help us lead better in the spirit of Jesus' unhurried way, the way of leadership that flows from a full soul instead of an empty one. Sometimes I'm talking with fellow authors, and sometimes I'm talking with leaders just like you who are learning to live and lead at the fruitful pace of grace and peace. Today, we're talking about the chapter in our book, What Does Your Soul Love?, on the theme of truth. The core question around which this chapter revolves is this, where are you hiding? You might wonder how that question relates to truth. You see, we're not talking primarily about truth in doctrinal or theological or even philosophical terms. All of these matter, of course. We're talking about truth in terms of our lived experience. What does it look like to live more and more in resonance with kingdom reality as Jesus declares it and embodies it? Joining me today is Matt Fogel. Uh, and our friend Kimberly Deckel. Kimberly and her family live in Austin, Texas, where she serves as executive pastor at Church of the Cross. Now, before transitioning into full-time ministry, Kimberly worked in the field of social work for over a decade, serving as a therapist, hospice social worker, and working in foster care and adoptions. She also currently serves as Bishop's Liaison for Women in Leadership, for the Diocese of Churches for the Sake of Others. Now, if you're a new listener, welcome to the podcast. If you find these episodes helpful, would you please follow, rate, and review? And be sure to share this podcast with your friends. So now, let's dive into my conversation with Kimberly and Matt. On today's Unhurried Living podcast, I'm pleased to have a conversation with Matt Fogel and Kimberly Deckel on the theme of truth as lived reality based on the chapter on truth in our book, What Does Your Soul Love? Uh, Kimberly, Matt, thanks so much for having this conversation with me. Thanks for having us. Uh, yeah. That's great. Well, I'm really especially glad, Kimberly, for your uh, joining us as a first-time kind of conversation partner. And what I thought maybe we could do as we start, um, I'd just love to hear from both of you just something about your experience of ministry and leadership these days. Maybe it's something you're learning. Maybe it's just something you're noticing, you know, whatever. I'd love to hear from you uh, that way. All right, I'll jump in. Um, so, yeah, so we are in a, a transition, like a season of transition as a family. We um, used to live in Phoenix. My husband and I had both been there for a long time, and we relocated to Austin in the end of November of 2021. Um, and I think that the reminder that as we um, began to, like, move toward this transition, as we were discerning this transition, and then even as we have gotten here to Austin, and I'm serving in a new role in a new church, 
um, and you'll appreciate this, Alan, but has been to slow down. Um, I'm not good at moving slowly. I mm -hmm. like to have a lot going on and intend to, like, I, I think that I work better when I'm busy and I'm more productive when I'm busy. Um, like God has been like, hey, like actually no. Um, and so I think that, um, <laughs> I think that it was even just as we got ready to make this move, it was this really good opportunity that we don't, all always have to, to kind of assess, you know, like what needs to be put on pause? What do I need to stop doing? Um, and I think that as we've moved into, you know, this new time kind of in our life, it has, it's been busy by nature, just like new job. Our church um, is in sort of this new stage of its life. Um, but I've noticed, like I was even just last night um, kind of reflecting on the day and the day's work and everything that's happening and just sort of appreciating that our evenings are not as busy as a family as they were in Phoenix. Mm -hmm. Our evenings tended to be really full and just like appreciating being able to slowly make dinner and mm -hmm. talk about the day. And that feels really different. Um, and I'm thankful for that. And I think that that like, even then that allows me to serve our parish and our parishioners um, just in a better, like healthier way. So that's, that's a little, a little bit. Well, it's nice that, you know, I mean, moves always, you know, bring challenges. Of course they do. Yeah. Um, but I'm glad to hear about the opportunity, a kind of reboot or a reassessment of yeah. what your rhythms will be. That sounds mm -hmm. really good. Thank Nothing. you. Mm -hmm. Matt, how about you? What, what are you noticing these days? Yeah, I'm smiling because I too think that busier is better. <laughs> most of us frankly do it's a, yeah. it's a cultural assumption that that it is you know, it just is yeah so my wife yesterday she says hey you're in one of those seasons where you're moving really fast hmm. have you noticed that you're moving really fast and i'm like yeah <laughs> i have oh. she goes well just when you move really fast it's the important things like us that usually get left behind Mm. And she didn't say it in an accusatory way. It was very gentle. Her kindness led me to repentance, which is why I canceled some meetings today. <laughs> well, thanks for not canceling this one. Yeah. I know. I was uh, yeah. And so <clears throat> I'm busy right now. My life is very full because yeah. I'm, I'm really juggling kind of four roles right now. So I'm a wow. pastor. At a, at a new church in Phoenix. And that's me and Kimberly met here. She's yeah. preached on a Sunday yeah. at our church. And we got to be a part of the Surge team together for a little bit. So I, I help out there with spiritual formation. Mm. I also lead retreats uh, with a ministry called Harbor to Colorado and California. And I just became a realtor, which is oh, also, yeah, another thing. Why not? <laughs> Why not? There just wasn't enough on the plate. We yeah. needed something else on there. To, another yeah. food group. On and the my plate. wife keeps reminding me that I also am doing a master's in missional theology through <laughs> MTC right now. Yeah. She keeps yeah. Why not? Wow. Yeah. Why not? So it's so, full. Yeah. It's very full. <clears throat> well, I, I always remember, you know, Dallas Willard would say, um, busy and hurried are not the same thing. And mm. that... You know, you can find yourself in seasons where you're very busy and you might decide mm -hmm. that it's too busy. That's that's fine. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, you can always make decisions about that, about the yeses you've said, and maybe you don't want to keep saying them. But yeah. um, but that hurry, that's really what's happening in our souls. Yeah. And it's not completely that's separate. Good. I mean, sometimes right. super busy seasons provoke mm -hmm. our hurry, our inner soul uh, hurry, the drivenness or the anxiety or the what does everybody think or whatever variety of hurry is kind of embedded there for any one of us. But as I listen to your sharing, I just think that's a great uh, that's a great entree to our theme of truth. Like yeah. one of the great needs we have as leaders is to be honest, yeah. to be honest with ourselves, to be honest with God, to be honest with the community where God's planted us, even to be mm -hmm. honest in the context of the world in which we live. Mm -hmm. And there's just a lot of temptations not to be nearly as honest uh, as we you know might be. So. You know, like every chapter of our book, this chapter on truth revolves around, you know, key question, where are you hiding? And there's a lot of ways that the idea of truth is talked about, you know, these days. There are some who tend to view truth as a philosophical category or a doctrinal category that you have to understand and get it exactly right and argue about and maybe defend and whatever. And I'm not saying that's not important, but... Then there are also those who talk about, you know, my truth as a way of describing their own uh, perspectives or experiences or views. Yeah. In the book, Jim and I are talking about truth kind of more in terms of a lived honesty. Mm. So I would love to maybe hear you think out loud about um, what has truth looked like in your own journey, you know, these mm -hmm. days. <sighs> wow. I just had an amazing class yesterday about church history and truth we talked oh. a lot around truth really yeah yeah and the i noticed like i usually do in class that i don't want to be a dualist when it comes to truth i don't i don't want to separate all the different parts of my life and think that the spiritual is removed from the physical and somehow the spiritual is better than the physical and and so I, even though I don't want to do that, I can make a conscious effort and intentionally practice rhythms that help me be more integrated. Yeah. However, we live in a society where that when I think of truth, I think of integration. I think mm. of wholeness. I think of the entire soul, our heart, our mind, our body, our social context, all being integrated mm -hmm. and healthy, you know, the, the word peace in scripture, that shalom, that I think mm -hmm. we're all seeking that kind of continuity and integration mm -hmm. in a fractured world. And I, I liked all the different categories you went through there too. Like, it's not just a lived honesty with God, yeah. it's with ourselves and it's with others. And it's even with the world around us. Naming that mm -hmm. is really important. So, yeah, that's, that's good. And I, I think your way of describing that just it, it sounds uh, I think to some ears, it, it may sound good. It may sound hard. Like, can yeah. I attain that? Is that possible? But my experience, probably yours, too, is it's remarkably freeing yeah. when you can move in that direction. Kimberly, how about you? Yeah, yeah, I think one thing even related to what Matt was sharing is part of it. I think when we think about this idea of like, truth is that we don't have to get it, it perfect right because sometimes the pressure is that we have like there's some kind of a like a system or like a way that we're like graded we're going to make mistakes 
Um, I, in what sometimes feels like a previous life, was a clinical social worker. And a lot of times when we thought about, um, like, how we tend to, like, treat and assess and work with people is thinking about, like, the whole, all all parts of them. Um, yeah. And that has been so helpful to me in my work in ministry um, is, you know, what Matt was talking about, like not separating those things out, but like the whole person. Um, and I think related to that, um, one of the things I experienced when I, so I'm a, a priest in the Anglican Church in North America. And when I was starting um, the ordination process, one of the first things we do, which I know is familiar to Alan, is this parish discernment. And so it's yeah. this time of like, discerning this call with a group of people in our parish. And I had the privilege of doing that with a church plant. And so with like a small, really intimate group of people who, who knew me fairly well, but had never quite experienced something like that. And one of the pieces of feedback that I got from um, people kind of as we were going through the process and after it was that they had not um, experienced like sitting with a pastor or someone in a leadership role in a church and had, and, and heard such like vulnerability or transparency. Um, And that like just has always stuck with me because it it caused me to reflect. And and that's probably true. And there is this fine line, right? As leaders or pastors between like, how much do you share? But I think oftentimes because of this, whether it's it's there intentionally or not, there tends to be this like hierarchy. Maybe we see leaders and pastors as like, better than or above like there's this pedestal this celebrity culture all of that stuff that you know we have seen has been really unhealthy um for the church and so there was something just really sweet about that and I think that that stuck with me in my ministry work like the importance of being transparent and vulnerable and again it's not sharing every single thing all of the time um but in doing that we're modeling um I think for others around us too what it is to do that and like the freedom that is found in, um, in being open and honest and transparent. Yeah, no, I really appreciate that. I, I, I'm thinking of my own journey, um, in Christian leadership, mostly in the context of the church for the first couple decades of my, of ministry. And, um, what was mostly modeled for me was this kind of, I, I mean, I don't want to disparage, but it was mostly this kind of appearance management, you look mm. like you haven't a problem in the world. Yeah. Uh, you're just Mr. or Miss, Mrs. Can do, yeah. um, you know, and, uh, and so you're this model, but it's like a model of unattainable perfection. Right. It's just not followable. Mm-mm. Like you're not even following it. <laughs> yeah. Well, who, yeah, who can? So then you're stuck right. with pretending on top of that. You right, know. right. Mm-hmm. And that's just a horrible recipe for spiritual yeah. growth and spiritual yeah. wholeness and spiritual maturing. So I think my wife and I both, too, have found, like you described it, Kimberly, there's a kind of appropriate honesty. Like yes. people need to hear that we're on a journey, too. Yep. That the ways that we need to be healed still. There, mm-hmm. there are ways in which we still need mercy and grace. Yeah. I love our Anglican tradition that confession is a part of our yeah. weekly gathering and my daily yeah. rhythm of praying. And I need that. I need to remember that. For sure. Um, yeah. And I was thinking too, um, you know, one of the ways Dallas would describe truth is reality. You know, he would love to mm-hmm. say uh, truth is, or reality is what you bump into when you're wrong. <laughs> when you're yeah. mistaken about how things actually are. <laughs> and I, yeah. I think Jim and I have um, 
just been seeking to live our lives more in the light of God's actual kingdom, mm-hmm. like who God actually is and who God has actually made us to be and what that relationship looks mm-hmm. like. There's a there's a kind of simplicity or almost a singularity that, that all of this is kind of moving toward. And um, so I like that idea of truth. And then maybe the last thing I'll say is, again, in the spirit, Kimberly, of what you shared is, it, it, I think there's a need for a kind of transparency, mm. um, that I am not the the center of attention in the community where I may lead, but I am one of the followers looking to the one we all are following. And there needs to be a kind of openness, because it's it's when I've gotten into habits of hiding that I've gotten into yeah. trouble. Yeah. I feel like we're seeing that story yeah. played out an awful lot in kind yeah. of some current events as it relates mm-hmm. to our friends in ministry leadership uh, elsewhere. Um, yeah. So I wonder about that. Um, what, maybe think out loud with me about what has appropriate transparency look like? I mean, as you think about your context, you know, whether you're speaking or you're having conversations or whatever, what what does that sometimes look like for you? Yeah, I, I really like where you went earlier, Kimberly, with there's this fine line between being honest with everybody, but not oversharing right. and, and how harmful that can be in relationships if you're just sharing all of the things all of the time. And a mentor of mine early on said, Matt, be honest with everybody. Don't ever lie. Be honest, but be careful who you're vulnerable with. Be vulnerable with a few. And so for me, Alan, that question, the first thing I did when I moved to Phoenix from Illinois was find a spiritual director Mm. because I needed somebody in the first months of me being on the ground to be that presence where I could be completely vulnerable and not have to wear my pastor's hat yeah. in that conversation where I knew at least once a month that I could meet with somebody and bear my soul with them. And it was confidential and it was helpful. And there were seasons actually where I took time off of spiritual direction to do full on counseling for six months because I needed a different kind of presence, somebody with more emotional skills to walk me through what was going on in me in that season. Um, And I also think uh, as a married person, for me, how that fleshes out is I'm, I am most vulnerable with my wife. I share all the things she knows how I feel when I feel those things. And even if I try to pretend like I'm not, there's no fake in it with her. And, and so I've noticed that, though, in my marriage, I can be healthy in vulnerability there if I have a couple guys around me that I can call or text at any time that are in proximity with me in life that are just that that company of a few, what I think Jesus had with Peter, James, and John. He didn't have that same level of relationship, I don't think, with everybody. He loved everybody. He was honest with everybody. But with those three, there was a different level of intimacy where he says, why don't you come into the Garden of Gethsemane with me? I need your your support. I need your presence. Mm -hmm. And I see that as a model for me and for leadership in general, that we need those voices. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like 
when someone, especially when we're talking like leaders, pastors, and they don't have people around them, like that, uh, like a, a red flag, right? When it's like, ooh, who, like, who are you talking to? Like, who knows what's happening in your life? Um, and so I think like forming that, right? And like, yes, if you're married, spouse, like, like these different like layers, sort of like you shared, Matt. Um, and then I think too, like with that, there is, you know, like we were talking about this fine line thing. Like there are times when it is appropriate, like perhaps in a sermon or in conversation with a parishioner where you might be sharing something like there's like a little peak of like vulnerability or even some of that just feels like, like humanity, like a reminder that like, Hey, just because I'm your pastor or like have been called the holy orders doesn't mean that I'm like better than, or um all that different than. Um, and so there's like, and I think that that's one of those things where there's like a, a skill in a way to it. Like when do you, like share something with someone. Um, certainly you don't want to be the like leader or pastor who turns the conversation into like everything's about you or you're sharing things, right? Because I mean, I've seen that happen. Um, or you're sharing things that are too, you know, that are like, that are like inappropriate, right? To share with a parishioner. And that's when it's like, okay, who are the other people around you? You know, spouse, close friends, spiritual directors, therapists that you are able to really share all of that with. Yeah. I think that's really good. So one of the things I heard in what you, the way you said it, uh, Kimberly, there's a way of sharing that draws attention to me. That's almost yeah. always unhelpful, right. but there's also a way of sharing that just shares. There's a commonness. Um, there's a yeah. empathy and identification. Mm. There's a feeling of, Oh, uh, mm. you know what my life is like because you've got things in your life like that too. Right. And so I think that's a helpful distinction. And the other thing, I guess I just want to say, since many of our listeners do find themselves in leadership roles in mm -hmm. a lot of different settings is how do you need help with this, mm -hmm. you know, this journey of truth? Uh, I, you know, for me right now, I have an ongoing conversation with a spiritual director. I have an ongoing yep. conversation with a therapist. Uh, we're starting an ongoing conversation for some family dynamics that I think will help mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. I need that. Um, I yep. am not above needing help. In fact, because of my role, I need help more because I have a tendency, a habit of assuming I can do it all myself. Yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm a pastor and I have been for 40 years. So what help do I need? A lot, right. <laughs> actually. And right. that's, that's a good thing to, to, to remember. So, yeah, I think like, I think, I think that all like this conversation around truth and reality and transparency, um, it requires a lot of humility. Um, and most of us like, aren't that good at that. And so that like, yeah. therefore this requires that this constant, um, like turning back to Jesus and centering ourselves in him because, um, our temptation so often is to like center ourselves and think we have it all figured out, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thanks. Well, so in this chapter, there was a line that we quoted from Thomas Merton that I, I love. Yeah. You know, he says, uh, there's no greater disaster in the spiritual life than to be immersed in unreality. For life mm -hmm. is maintained and nourished in us by our vital relation with reality. So I wonder, as you kind of look around at the world, uh, you know, as it is today, what is it looking like when people are immersed in unreality? And what is it looking like when people are learning to be immersed in the reality of, you know, who God is and how the kingdom of God works? Yeah. What are you noticing? 
So one of the things that like pops in my mind right away when I think about um, people being immersed in the unreality, it's, it's like the lies that Satan tells us. Like it's like mm-hmm. the fight against like the powers and the principalities, right? And I think even like especially of um, like youth today and the things that they like believe about themselves that, that like society is telling them about their themselves, right. That are, that aren't true, you know, but how, um, there's like, you know, there are times where it's like, Ooh, it's really hard to tell the difference between, um, the church and culture, right. They've become so like sort of, um, intertwined right um and so i think yeah like when i think of that i just think of like gosh like what are the the lies that we're being told that we're hearing that we're like living into um and i think a lot of that even relates to conversations around deconstruction right like this this really actually like i would say pretty important part of like our faith journey like having times when we're rethinking our faith and like deconstructing and reconstructing but then intertwined in that like are oftentimes um these these unrealities these things that can be really hard um to decipher like what is true and what isn't about ourselves about jesus about others Mm -hmm. yeah yeah thank you kimberly yeah how does that strike you a question yeah, I was more thinking about like how can we discern when we're in unreality? And for me, mm-hmm. it has always been community has been the first thing that I bump into that tells me there's almost a chorus of voices usually, sometimes just two or three people that love me enough, like Proverbs says, you know, an enemy multiplies kisses, mm-hmm. but a friend is willing to wound. And when I've walked in unreality, it's been really good friends who are willing to wound me to say, this isn't right. And it's not good the way that you're walking in. I I just remember getting out of my freshman year at Moody Bible Institute and having a bunch of propositional truths Mm -hmm. that I thought, this is truth. Sure. Truth are these ideas and I'm holding fast to these ideas and then speaking those out to some of my friends and not all of them were as black and white. Mm-hmm. as they were presented in the books. And I was walking in the unreality of just not having relational love towards people that disagreed with me in that season of my life. And so I'm grateful for those sacred companions who along the way just say, no, this is this is reality. This is the way to walk in. And if you don't get on on step with this, if you don't leave that path and really in a biblical sense, repent, destruction is that way. You're heading yeah. towards it. And they love you enough to tell you. That is really helpful. It was made me think, uh, I remember reading kind of a, a spiritual classic from a few centuries ago, and it's a collection of conferences that were spoken in retreat settings. And about mm-hmm. half of this book, and it's a big, thick book, is on the theme of self-deception. Mm-hmm. And I think, is there any greater danger than finding yourself in the place of self-deception? But one of the great gifts, two, two practices help us. You've given one is community. Are you in the kinds of relationships yeah. where people can tell you the truth and say, I think you're fooling yourself, you know, I think you're fooling yourself here and, and you're willing to listen. I have friends who, who mm-hmm. haven't had those kinds of relationships yeah. 
and it got them into profound trouble. The other yeah. practice I think that really helps us with unreality is practices like solitude and silence, mm. where instead of being in the middle of all the other referencing sort of yeah. voices and uh, pressures and cultural values and all that, to be in the place of solitude where all of that slowly, you know, sort of gets set aside and it's just me and it's just God and mm. all my games and all my masks and all my pretendings. Really, there's not they get there's there's nothing for them there, in solitude, yeah. and so I think those are practices that can you know help us reengage reality. You know, I think Matt, mm -hmm. your point about uh, community, and I think uh, I just think contemplation. You know, it's learning to see mm -hmm. things as they actually are, yeah. learning to see myself as I am, God as God is, other people as they are, all of all of those things. Mm -hmm. So good. That reminds me of, uh, is it Bonhoeffer's quote in Life Together, where he says, beware of the person who cannot be in community, mm. who only likes to be alone. And then he follows that up by saying, also, beware of the person who only wants to be alone. Yeah. And not in community. Yeah. And so there's the both and that well-worn path between silence and solitude and authentic mm -hmm. community. Yeah. And that's hard to do as a leader. And as a pastor, it's, it's easy to do one time. It's really hard to have a lifestyle of those things. Right. Right. Yeah. When I was um, sort of like discerning next steps in this role at the church in Austin and thinking about the type of like leaders that I wanted to serve with, like some of the initial questions were like, who, like, what is, what is your like personal community look like like what is what are your rhythms of sabbath look like for you because i think so much of that is like like i would want to be in a church where my pastor like as best as they can is practicing those things and recognizes the importance of them then i also want to like work with leaders to value those those things as well like in my job description is like a requirement of sabbath I've never had that before. Oh, um, nice. so those, yeah. Um, Amen. So those things, like as you're talking, Matt, I'm like, yeah, like those are the things that um, like for us serving as leaders, like I would, I want people to ask me those questions too, right? Um, like what, do, what do your practices of Sabbath look like? What um, does your community look like? Who are the people um, that you are really like sharing um, your weakest moments and your biggest celebrations with, you know? Yeah, no, that's really helpful. Well, as we sort of continue on, on this theme, one of the other ways that we talked about this arena of reality as it relates to our own becoming, you know, more whole. Uh, we had a counselor who would often say to us, you know, a lot of people come to me and they say that they're looking for healing. And, they're, and they're, they honestly think that's what they're looking for, but they're glad to stop the counseling process once they get relief. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, you go to the doctor with some uh, something broken or something's not right. And some are just wanting to not feel bad anymore. And I, I'm for that. I don't want to feel bad. You know, I would like I like relief a lot. I'm a, I'm a fan. Mm -hmm. um, but there is especially as it relates to our soul, there's a journey toward wholeness that is more than, you know, more than just uh, relief. So mm -hmm. I wonder as you just think of your own work over the years, your own journey, what has that difference between, you know, settling just for relief 
or being willing to lean into wholeness, healing, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. you know, actual growth. What have you been learning? Yeah. Mm. I'll say, Alan, for myself, I, I just went through this book, The Soul of Shame by oh, Kurt yeah. Thompson yes. with a friend who's a counselor and him and I sat together in his office every other week. And there was a whole chapter around shame in the biblical narrative mm -hmm. in that of, it didn't talk about, I love what you just said, not settling for relief when healing is available. Uh, and it is a longer journey. And um, one of the things I starred in double dog-eared in my book, which means I really like it, <laughs> is it's he says, uh, to be okay as a human is first and foremost about being connected to God and to other people. It's not ultimately about having enough information or skill mm -hmm. or intelligence or experience. Neither is it about being youthful, ripped, having enough money, sex, or power. And when in doubt, when doubt involves any of these, you can be confident that shame is the emotional feature that is deeply at work. Mm -hmm. And I look at that list and I think that when I've experienced relief, but haven't done the journey of wholeness, it's often because I experience relief and then run to information. Oh, mm -hmm. I'll buy another book off Amazon. That'll probably really help. Mm -hmm. Or intelligence or, oh, I need more experience in that or all the other classic temptations. But there, there is a real enemy who is set on us not being whole. Yeah. Right. It is a battle. So, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Mary. So I think for me, when I think of this, I think of this really, this like example of my like experience of kind of working through um, some of my childhood trauma kind of coupled mm. with the, the death of my mom. My mom passed away in May of 2018. And I, um, you know, like my, my journey to kind of to work through a lot of trauma has been like this ongoing journey since I was pretty young and um, have been really thankful for like all of these tools at my disposal to help work through that and my mom's death and she, at that point like she lived really close to us and we were in um pretty healthy relationship but of course that like triggers some of like some things from childhood and mm. like into my teenage years and so I started seeing a therapist after she passed away you know for like one because of the grief and the loss and also because these things were beginning to bubble up to the surface and um and as I was doing that it was like because of so many other things happening I kind of had this like I don't think I even realized it, but sort of this timeline kind of like all right I'm going to, I have some time off. I'm going to work on this kind of through the summer and then we'll be done, you know, and I'll like kind of get back into life and things will be like, okay ish, but it feels so much like this example of like, okay, I'd experienced some like initial relief, um, but not full like healing, um, in the work that I'd done as a therapist. And so then, um, fast forward two years later, almost exactly my dad passed away and, that was sort of just like entering back into, and I, and I do actually believe like, as I kind of processed back on it and entered into prayer through like reflecting on that first experience of therapy versus the second, that there were like 
certainly like good things that happened in that time, but I wasn't, I wasn't fully honest. Like I wasn't fully honest with myself, with God, with the therapist I was seeing. Um, and some of that having to do with um, a lot of sort of um, the culture in my home as a child was built around like not being fully honest or truthful. There were lots of things that were hidden. Um, and so in that process, like kind of that second time around, which I just wrapped up right before I moved to um, Austin. So that was like a good year and a half with that therapist was like being totally honest. And, and it felt super scary, right? To really talk about all of the things that, that had happened. But in that, like so much, um, freedom and mercy and grace, um, was found. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I just remember, you know, I think, uh, golly, I remember one season where we were, my wife and I both were meeting with a therapist for years, mm. probably five or six years. Yeah. And it was a long bumpy journey. And sometimes we were digging up stuff I had long forgotten and there it was again and had no idea yeah. the impact it was having on me now, um, as a, you know, 50 something adult at the time. And then we kind of got to a spot where both of us, my wife and I both felt like, oh, you know, we've experienced some healing there. I feel some freedom mm. I haven't felt, you know, there, there's some places where I used to just settle for relief. And I don't think I need relief now because I've got wholeness. Yeah. <laughs> like, the, like, I, you know, I like if, if, if what was wrong was a red light on your dashboard, I kept settling for putting a piece of tape over it, you know, yeah. so I wouldn't yeah. have to see it. <laughs> but instead, you know, it's like the counselor was, let's open the hood. Let's, yep. let's figure out what that red light means. Yeah. Um, and when we asked him, so how did we get here? How did we, how do we find ourselves in this place? His, his sentence was, well, it's just about the truth. Mm. And of course he meant something bigger than, you know, the apostles creed uh, right. or, or a statement of faith or yeah. whatever it was. He, he was talking about uh, some form of reality, like, you're learning to live in the reality of, of your journey, the reality of who mm -hmm. God is, the reality of the kingdom as, as it is. And so I just think, you know, for our listeners, whatever that looks like, there is a journey in the direction of truth, of honesty, of being able to share your story. And that is good news. The hiding is yeah. what's the bad news. The pretending yeah. is what's the bad news. Yeah. Amen able to, to that. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's my experience too, you know? Mm, so mm -hmm. one of the other places as, as um, I've thought about this whole arena of truth is I think that was very much at the heart of the conflict between Jesus and the Jewish leaders. So, you know, we hear him in Matthew 23, this long string of woes, not my favorite topic, like, hooray, mm -hmm. let's talk about lots and lots of woes. <laughs> but it's like, to me, it's just the opposite of, you know, blessed are, Jesus says, blessed are, but then he has to say about these Jewish leaders, but woe to those who. And, you know, he, he talks about all kinds of things, about, you know, their tendency to be so focused on the outward and so unaware of the inward, uh, that they were perfectly happy to land overwhelming responsibilities and expectations on other people and didn't feel the need at all to help them with everything they just dumped on them. And so I guess I wonder, you know, as you reflect on the truth of Jesus, especially as he entered the world of his day and interacted with the leaders like he did, how do you see some of those dynamics in, in our world today, too? Like, how, 
How might Jesus enter our world and see some of those same kinds of leadership dynamics as he witnessed, you know, among those Jewish leaders of his day? Man. Um, Ouch, right? Ouch. I know, seriously. So so back in February, um, the gospel reading was Sermon on the Plain, you know, so from Luke, but also yeah. like the blessings and the woes. And um and and so part of like, so I preached on that and as part of like, as a preparation, it was like, all right, like I've got to, like, we have to talk about the woes, you know? Um, and it's funny because this is a bit off topic, but you know, the, um, like the hashtag blessed is like a big thing. You can find it everywhere. You cannot find hashtag woe. <laughs> um, but what you can find is a, mis- is, a mis- is a misunderstanding of a misunderstanding of the spelling of woe. So there's lots of like W-O-E's that people are actually referring to like, whoa. Um, so it's interesting because just like think like this being fresh in my mind, like this idea of that, like that Jesus has that same like warning and caution for us today. And it's present in so many ways. Um, and I, you know, when I think of like leaders, when I think of our churches, um, like it's, it's, it's all over, right? Like just in terms of like, um, woe to like the rich, woe to those of you, you know, to um, like have power and are um, seen as like on top. Um, and that just all, I mean, it applies so much to our, to our current day. And even if like some of the language is different, right, than what we might use, a lot of it really translates to um, the things that we tend to like hold up and see as important and powerful and privileged and like the people right um and then also you know it's just this reminder of like the upside down kingdom like jesus um thinking of things completely like in the opposite of what we would and so the things that we're tending to center and um see as more important jesus would push those things out to the margins and center things much different than we would um Yeah. yeah Well, I just think, you know, um, I think Jesus' statements of woe are, they're they're really a gift. Mm -hmm. Is Jesus saying, would you like to know why you're as miserable as you are? Mm -hmm. I'd love to give you some insight. You know, I think the reason you're miserable, I mean, for example, you've spent so much energy trying to look good and just so little energy becoming good. Mm. And I would love to help you on that ladder one but but the looking good is not helping mm-hmm. it's a miserable way to live your life it's not a great trajectory you know so i just think every one of the woes that jesus speaks he's trying to warn us he's saying golly you i did not come that you might have a life and miserable life an right. abundantly miserable life i came that you might have joyful peaceful mm-hmm. loving life and relationships and the way you do your work I am not, you know, Jesus is not trying to promote misery. <laughs> you know, right. he's inviting us to blessing. Right. Yeah, that's good, Alan. Yeah, and I I had a friend reach out to me via email yesterday, and he said, I have been practicing Psalm 139, praying that every night. And I, I'm a, as you asked that question about what would Jesus say, I... I'm always fascinated to when I read the Psalms to think about that he read that and mm-hmm. more than read it, he probably chanted it. He probably sang it. 
a lot of them he probably memorized. And Psalm 139, you know, the prayer that says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me, know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along that path of everlasting life. And so I think one of the woes that he would say to leaders, especially in the North American context, would be woe to the unaware. Mm-hmm. Woe to you, people who, like you said, Kimberly, woe to you, people who are on stages often, mm-hmm. but are rarely in the closet. Mm-hmm. Woe to you who are who are on a path of destruction. You're not on the path of everlasting life. And if you would just pause and consider with me, I will point out to you. I will. I love you enough to give you my spirit and point out those things that are offending me in hurting others. And how beautiful would it be if so many leaders in places of power would legitimately put that into practice and how transformative that would be. Yeah. Well, you know, as I just, you know, we're we're living at a time, you know, we're recording this about a month before it'll air. And there's just been this wave of news stories about, you know, our friends in leadership around the world in church settings that are just uh, age old hidden stories are coming to light. And, you know, in a sense, I just think Jesus would say, I so long for you to find the way of wholeness and healing and reality. Mm. And you settled, you know, you settled for hiding and you, you settled for, and, and you're miserable. Of course you're miserable. This this isn't the life of the kingdom into which I was inviting you or through you that I was wanting to invite, you know, everybody else. Mm. So, but it maybe again, there's an opportunity for good news here, which is to say, look, um, my life is my life. God sees it perfectly. There is nothing hidden in me, not in reality. Even that's a pretend game when I try to hide. Uh, Nothing is hidden. That's Psalm 139 language too. But that's good news. It's not bad news. That's right. You know, it's good news that nothing is hidden because everything is uh, visible in the light of a God who is loving and merciful and gracious and who came to renew and restore and to save. Um. That's that's what we're about. Well, I wonder if you have anything else just as you reflect on the conversation we've had that you'd like to share in closing, you know, um, with those who are listening. Just on this theme again of truth, reality, living in the light, um, wholeness, maturity, whatever. Hmm. Yeah, I'll say just in closing that... One of my favorite images of the church is the church as a family. Mm-hmm. And on my journey of becoming more whole towards the telos of what Jesus wants for me personally and collectively, um, so much is accredited to the family of God. And so if you're listening to this and you're a leader who just has not been vulnerable with a few with a few family members, I would encourage you to consider that you are a part of a family, a real family, a safe place for you to open up and start the journey towards healing and stop settling for that relief. Yeah. 
I was thinking in a little bit of a similar way. And I think this thing that I was thinking about is like, we talked a lot about the importance of having people around you um, who you can be honest with. We talked about therapists, spiritual directors, things like that. And just recognizing that those things aren't always available to everybody. And so Mm -hmm. like first, um, you know, it probably is a little bit of a gut check if it's like, ooh, there isn't anybody around me that feel, that's family, right? Like that I can actually be honest with and, you know, kind of discerning like, what is that about? Um, but then with that too, um, and I don't know, I don't exactly have the answer to this, but I think like, I don't know, um, like where can, who can people reach out to? How can they connect? I know like Alan and Matt, you guys both have resources for this, especially just around like, spiritual direction I know sometimes that it can be hard like not everybody knows where to find a, a like a good spiritual director sometimes costs can be prohibitive things like that um same with therapy people can like email me I have ideas and resources but I just think that sometimes we, that's like an easy thing to forget that it's not accessible for everybody so thank you Kimberly that's yeah. that's a good yeah. word and I would just say you know uh, one thing just as a, a very simple it doesn't solve everything. But I do think that it's the sort of thing that God would want to provide for um, us. And maybe it would come from an unexpected place. And so I, yep. I would just say a, a very simple thing to do would be to say, I, Lord, I would really like help. Mm-hmm. I don't know where yep. to look. Would you point yeah. me somewhere? And even okay. be quiet for a moment and see if a creative idea. You might find that there's a an, an older man or woman in your life in the church that yep. you're at or in your neighborhood or whatever in your network. Yeah. But I think Kimberly, your point is well taken is that um, uh, it's not always as obvious, but what mm-hmm. I would add to that maybe is don't, don't give up hope for that reason. Definitely. Um, I think there are, there are always opportunities. So again, today it's been a great gift uh, to have this conversation with you, Kimberly and Matt and, uh, Thanks so much for sharing your lives and your insights with our community today. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed our conversation as much as I did. If you don't already own it, I encourage you to buy yourself a copy of What Does Your Soul Love? It includes both personal reflection resources and a small group study guide. You'll be able to continue following along with this series of episodes. In the next few episodes, we'll be talking with authors James Brian Smith, Todd Hunter, and Justin Whitmull Early. We'll also continue to have conversations with leaders like you on themes from our book, What Does Your Soul Love? I can't wait to share those with you. Now, if you'd like to receive more help from Unhurried Living, I invite you to join our Unhurried Daily email list. For 40 days, we'll send you a brief daily email that offers personal reflections from life and scripture to help you take the next step in following Jesus' unhurried way. You can sign up on our website at unhurriedliving.com. We are honored to encourage thousands of leaders just like you. Again, thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Unhurried Living Podcast. Join me next time to learn more about following the genius of Jesus' unhurried way of life and leadership.